Let's go to the word. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Now, it's something that we've kind of hinted at these things before, but sometimes I think it's something that we have to go through every day of our lives, and we're going to talk about today how it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Now, we've probably used this statement many times before. Usually at the time of giving or receiving a gift, and we know that it might not be the kind of gift that we may not be too proud of, or we may be not be too proud of or happy about, and we'll say, well, it's the thought that counts. I also want to praise the Lord for Brother Magic and Sister Cook, Sister Cookie being with us on today. Amen. I know that it is a birthday, but since y'all been sipping from the fountain of youth somewhere, I'm not going to ask how old y'all are. I'm just going to keep it moving. Though. But after giving or getting a gift that we're not too proud about, and you know, you might have been wanting something nice from that special someone, and they gave you a pair of socks, amen, you, you might say, well, it's the thought that counts. It's one of the most overlooked and underestimated cliches that we use today, but I'm here to let you know that in a different context, this is probably the most important statement ever spoken. It's the thought that counts. Now, the Bible many times speaks about the power of thought. As we think, so we are. Hence the word says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What we think about regularly and how we think about it ultimately is the reality that we create for ourselves. Even those that have throughout history professed to not even believe in God have professed their belief in the power of thought in our lives. It was Franklin D. Roosevelt that said, men are not prisoners of fate, but only prisoners of their own minds. Sidney Madwed said, if constructive Thoughts are planted, 
positive outcomes will be the result. Plant the seeds of failure, and failure will follow. It was Montaigne that said, the pleasantest things in the world are pleasant thoughts. And the great art of life is to have as many of them as possible. The universe is change. Our life is what our thoughts make it. That was Emperor Marcus Aurelius of the Roman Empire. It was Terry Josephson that said, no matter where you go or what you do, you live your entire life within the confines of your head. Finally, it was Albert Einstein that said, the world we have created is a product of our thinking. It cannot be changed without our thinking. And none of these guys were professedly loud Christians. But even in the field of neuroscience and neuroplasticity, there are whole disciplines dedicated to the power of thought and its effect on the brain and the human body. There is a whole self-help motivational positive thinking industry that has risen up that routinely uses the word of God that what the word of God tells us about how powerful our thoughts are and that industry completely leaves God out of the process in their explanation. These new age writers and self-help gurus have made millions and millions of dollars using a spiritual reality laid out in the word of God, and they have left God's word completely out of the equation. And the world has no problem paying them millions of dollars. Nobody complaining about the kind of cars they drive, the kind of houses that they live in. And they are using the word of God and leaving God's word completely out of their explanation. Something's wrong here. But let me ask y'all something, online as well. Has anyone here ever zoned out while you were driving? Has anyone here ever gotten lost in thought? Or have you ever let a thought run away with you? Sometimes we even let our thoughts get the better of us. Has that ever happened to anyone in here? Being lost in thought or having a thought run away with you or dwelling on a thought can be a very serious thing indeed. And we don't even notice it. Many times you can get on a train of thought that takes you completely in the wrong direction. Stay on that train of thought long enough and your whole life will be affected. How many people here know what I'm talking about? That's just a little food for thought there. In Psalms 13, verses 1, David cries, How long, O Lord, 
Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? In Genesis 27 and 41, it reads, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah, their mother, was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is consoling himself with the thought of killing you. So a thought can be a very powerful thing indeed. It's something that we don't think about much. It gets by us all the time. But what we first think when we are faced with a situation and what we do with that thought means everything in the world. Look at your neighbor and say, it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. It's all in the mind. You see, we have it wrong most of the time. We'll say the devil is on my job causing trouble. Or the devil done got in my child. Or the devil done got in my husband. Or or the devil is busy in some other situation. Listen, the devil ain't on your job. He's in your mind. He's not in that situation that you are in the middle of. He is in your thoughts. The battleground that the devil attacks you on is in your mind. It's in your thoughts. It's in our minds and in our thoughts where he steals our peace, where he steals our joy. He introduces thoughts of fear and anxiety, thoughts of anger and pain and loss and thoughts of loneliness or thoughts of persecution like everybody's trying to get me everybody's after me he he introduces thoughts of abandonment and pride and insecurity and thoughts of pleasure and entitlement and the list goes on and on as you look at your own life You may ask yourself, has there ever been a time when the power of my own thoughts has affected as what happened in my life and experiences? But I suggest to you now that it's not about if you believe you have this power or not. It's about knowing and accepting the fact that your whole life up to this point is a product of how you have thought about yourself and the world around you. It's not about, if you might be wondering, hey, have my thoughts ever impacted the way that my life is now? Well, I'm here to let you know I can guarantee that your every thought has affected, affected every part of your life. No one here is immune. We've all been doing it all of our life. 
It's about knowing that your world, your whole life, all of your responses to those experiences up to this point is of your own creation. You've been using this power, this ability, all of your life for better or worse. Why is it that the same exact thing can happen to two separate people and these two people react differently to that situation? For example, two young men can come from the exact same type of family situation. Neither one has a father present in the home. Both of them surrounded by the same crime-ridden, drug-infested neighborhood. Both of them going to the same substandard school because you know about the education system. But, but one seems to achieve and make it out of the neighborhood while the other bec becomes a victim of that same neighborhood. Conversely, two young men can grow up in the most advantageous of circumstances. The best of everything. The best schools, best food, best houses, best tutors. But one ends up excelling in life, making the most of every opportunity, while the other's lives are spent squandering all that has been given to him. Think about it. Two people can come from the same type of abusive household. One is able to rise above the abuse while the other passes that generational curse of pain on and on and on to the next generation and the next. There will be young men out there who will never be able to have a healthy relationship because they were taught to think a certain way about women and themselves because of the way great-grandpa handled relationships. There are generations of women out there incapable of having a successful relationship because of the, the thought process that was handed down to them by a hurt and bitter grandmother. Think about it. What makes one individual thrive in the same situation while the other individual falls victim? It wasn't the circumstances or the background. It was the thought process. The thought pattern of these individuals that made them either rise above or fall victim to their circumstances. I've said it before that flames destroy some but forge others. The same flames that destroy some of us turn some of us into instruments of victory and power. Why is that? It's not the flames. It's the thought process. The secret to why some people thrive in a tough situation and why some are destroyed is in what these people do with their thoughts. It's the thought that counts. Say it with me. It's the thought that counts. Why do you keep getting the same kind of jobs? Why do you keep getting in the same kind of relationships? Why do certain things always seem to keep happening to you? 
Why do you always seem to end up with the short end of the stick? I'm talking about the instances that eventually bring us to a this always happens to me kind of attitude. How many of you know somebody with a this always happens to me kind of attitude? Or secretly, how many of you have a this always happens? Don't raise your hand, just lift up an eyebrow. I don't want to. <laughs> Eyebrows are going up all over the church. Things are going well, and then something bad happens and <clears throat> suddenly happens, and we'll say, see, I knew it was too good to be true. This, this always happens to me. Why do we do that? It's because at a crucial time in each of our lives, we were all taught how to think by our circumstances. And the way that we think brings more of the same kind of circumstances right to our door. It self-perpetuates over and over and over again, a vicious cycle. Now, we're going to bring it home. Amen. We're going to keep it in the word because this is what the word is where it comes from. I can't go new age on something that was here before the foundations of the earth. Amen. So we're going to bring it back. We established long ago what is called a thought pattern which is defined as a habit of thinking a particular way using particular assumptions. Assumptions like, well, you know, you can't trust man anyway. So whenever you meet someone new, you already think you can't trust man. Or thinking of, you know, well, they're after me and they're, always, they're all trying to take something from me. So any one time someone tries to correct you, you take it personally. Assumptions. Our thought patterns have been formed by that one or series of crucial and sometimes and mostly painful experiences. I'll say it again that all of us have been doing it all of our lives. It's not about if I've been doing it, it's you have been doing it. A thought pattern begins with a thought. And since the devil attacks us in our thoughts, then it's not difficult to understand that many of our thought patterns have been formed as a result of what was given to us, that was given to us by thoughts, by thoughts from the enemy. And we got lost in that thought. Or we let those thoughts run away with us. Yes, all of us, even you have been a victim or a product not of your environment, but of your habitual thinking. Even now, somebody's out there and their thought pattern is struggling with what I'm saying. Who does he think he is? He don't know me. How he gonna talk about what I've been thinking? What, yeah, you. And who you are right now is struggling and arguing with who God has called you to be. Just lay back in his hands and let it happen, brother and sister. He's called you to something better, better than what you've been in the, been in the past, better than what you are even at this very second. That's why we are here to become better. 
Even I wrestle with my thought patterns sometimes. Now we are told what God's thoughts are about us. Jeremiah 29 and 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now, these are God's thoughts towards us. It's clear right there in black and white. God has thoughts of peace and not of evil. So anything opposite of those two things are not of God. He has thoughts to give us a future and a hope. But there is a caveat. Everybody say caveat. There's a little clause in there, the small print. And that caveat is the only thing more powerful than the thoughts that God has for you, more powerful than the script that God has written for your life, are the thoughts that you have of yourself. The only thing more powerful than the future and the thoughts that God has for you is the future and the thoughts that you think for yourself. The only thing in all of this that God has made himself subject to is your will. For example, some of y'all are having your, uh, trouble wrapping your minds around this. If God's word says that you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you, and you think in your heart that you are a failure, then you will be the failure that you are in your thoughts. God will sadly look down from heaven and say, so be it. Now, the joke is that whether you can, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. And we joke about that as come on some TV shows, but I, when I heard them say that, I was like, well, yeah, they're right. But if you choose to see yourself as God sees you, to see yourself as more than a conqueror, as one who actually can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth you, then God looks down and smiles and says, so be it. You can be an NBA champion. You can be a business mogul. You can affect people's lives all over the world. You can change the world. If you believe that God has put that power inside of you and you get in accordance with his will and his purpose, you will shake the foundations of the world. I know that I'm talking to somebody up in here. I know that I'm talking to somebody online today. God has put purpose and power inside of you and all he needs for you to do is agree. God will say, so be it. In the name of Jesus, you will have the victory. That's why it is so important that we agree. It's why it's so important that we concur, that we believe in and with what God's thoughts are for us. We have to get in line. Here's the key point. Write this down. It is through our thoughts that we either activate or disable the power of God in our lives. It is through our thoughts that we either activate or we disable the power of God 
in our lives. It is why we are told to bring every thought under subjection to the word of God. We are told to rate every thought. The power of life and death is in your tongue. Somebody here doesn't understand or believe the power that God has given you as a child of God being made in his image. What the tongue speaks about is a product of your heart, your thoughts. That's what it means to be in God's image. God thought about all the creation and then God spoke and said, let there be and everything was. You being God's image doesn't mean you have a head and God has two arms and a leg. He's so far beyond that. But you being in God's image means that you can think something and then you can speak something and then that something will be so for your life. I know some people come wanting to be entertained by preaching and want to be able to dance and have a, a good time and get that release. But I'm preaching to your Monday through your Saturday. I'm preaching that you will have victory and power in your life. That you don't have to come limping here in the, sun, in the church every Sunday. Oh, oh, Lord, help me. He has given you power. And I'm trying to call it out. I'm trying to call it out because he's put in, it inside of each and every one of you. And we're going to dance and we're going to pray and we're going to celebrate. But we're going to celebrate the victory every Sunday. Hallelujah. We're going to celebrate what it means to be in God's image, to have the power to examine yourself if you have the courage and to decide how you're going to let the world and life situations affect you for the good or bad, or more importantly, how you are going to affect the world around you. Again, I have to remind you, we are West Angeles. And we're not supposed to be going out there cowering and holding our heads low as children of the king. God wants us to take the ground. God wants us to come hard and heavy, sweetheart. And we're going to do just that. But the problem is, the caveat, is that most of the time we have a tendency to do what is called catastrophizing. Everybody say catastrophizing. Now, to catastrophize is to engage in a stream of stressful thoughts and emotions about an unpleasant experience. Somebody didn't speak to me today. I got a bad mark in school. I got bad marks on the job. And you magnify that bad situation or memory. They broke my heart. He didn't choose me. She didn't say she didn't want to go out. She didn't. She liked that other guy that unpleasant experience, and you magnify that bad situation or memory. This is a good way to think about it because it emphasizes how often we put a spiritual magnifying glass on our problems. You can look at an ant in a magnifying glass, and it looks to be as big as a Hot Wheel. But we know it's as small as an ant, but when we magnify it, it gets bigger. It blows our problems way out of 
proportion, and we dream up nightmare scenarios that we believe without question. That's why we are instead we are told to magnify the goodness of the Lord. How many times have we heard this excellent praise team talk about magnifying the goodness of the Lord? It's why you'll hear us get up and say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, and say it with me, and all he has done for me, my soul cries out. My soul cries out. My soul cries out. Thank God for blessing me. Somebody give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Mm. You see, that's not just something that we scream about during praise and worship. It is a spiritual and a mental exercise that reminds us to keep our thoughts where they should be. To keep our thoughts on the goodness of the Lord. Somebody say hallelujah up in here. Amen. But the devil waits for the exact right time to drop the wrong thought into your mind. And you eat it as food for thought over and over and over again. You make it part of your thought diet and then sooner or later it becomes a part of your habitual thinking. And if you stay in that thought pattern long enough, then it begins to form your perspective, which becomes your way of life. It becomes your whole existence. It becomes your reality, all created by you. God's child, made in God's image, with the ability to form your world around you, using the power that he gave you in your free will. Whatever you think, he looks down and he says, so be it. And I know this might be a sour pill to swallow for some of us, but every thought that goes through our minds about any situation needs to be weighed and measured against the word of God. Every thought about every situation. And if it doesn't add up to what the word says, then it is a thought from the enemy of your soul and of your purpose and your potential. Mm. But when you focus your thoughts in the right way, if you focus your thoughts in the right direction in any given situation and you align them with the word of God, then you begin the act of transforming your mind. And I'll let you know that these thoughts don't happen automatically by themselves. Amen. It's a struggle every day. You have to be, it's a struggle three or four or five or six or seven or eight, nine, ten times a day. You have to be intentional. You're going to have to force yourself to push past your normal thought patterns and force your mind to think on what the word of God says about your situation. And it's a monumentally difficult task though we've been th because we've been thinking the way that we've been thinking for as long as we can remember. 
Isaiah 26 and 3 and 4 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind or thoughts are stayed on you because he trusts in you. And, and so in everything that happens, you walk around with the thought of, you know, I have a feeling that everything, everything, however you say that in your mind, everything is going to be all right. That's why it is so important that we take what my brothers and sisters and what Brother Daughtry and the team sang today and put it in here that we would trust him. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's why we are told to renew our minds daily, moment by moment, because we literally have to change the thoughts we let ourselves think. You can be saved, sanctified, watching the blood of the Lamb, talking in tongues, shouting across the front of the church, and still be stuck with the same mind and the same thoughts that you had when you were in the world. Having a new life in church, but thinking like that old creature that you used to be. That's why the work of the Holy Spirit is so critical to our growth and development as mature children of the king. There's children of the king, and then there's mature children of the king. I am a child of Bishop Blake, but lately I've been trying to be a mature child of Bishop Blake. There's a difference. Sooner or later, you gotta get off the milk of the word. You gotta get into the meat, my brother and sister. And we are trying to breed mature children of God here at West Angeles. Hebrews 4 and 12 says that for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Beloved, it is the spirit that reveals to us the source of our thoughts and desires. The Holy Spirit tells you where that thought or that desire came from. It is the Spirit that feeds us the right food for thought. The Spirit reveals the answer to the question of where our thoughts come from, which, for the most part, is in direct conflict with the things of the Spirit. If I had time, I would go into how the thoughts of men are consistently evil and what comes out of his heart is evil. There's a bunch of scriptures in there, but, you know, we need to get out of here before 3 o'clock today. But this is why one of the most painful and difficult things to do, one of the things that we and I, we all need the most amount of prayer about is our ability to accept what the Spirit reveals to us about our own thoughts. Why? Because in accepting what the Spirit reveals to us in the Word of God about ourselves, we have to accept the fact that most of our lives, we've been spinning our wheels. For most of our lives, we've been locked in a cycle of the wrong thought pattern. We have to acquiesce to the terrifying fact that we have been wrong all this time about who we thought 
we were and how we've been thinking about the world around us. And we hate to be wrong, right? We have to admit that we may have been wrong in the way that we've been thinking about life and its challenges and in the way that we've been approaching to the point of letting our own separate and personal pain and limitations tell us how to think about ourselves and everything around us. And that has put you in a place that you've been for such a long time. You've been stuck in a moment and can't get out of it. And this moment might have happened when you were in elementary school. This moment might have happened when you were seven years old. This moment might have happened when you were five when you saw mama or daddy fight. Or when you saw somebody get cursed out in your house. Or when someone who you trusted and loved abused you. Or that time when you were rejected by those who you wanted to be close to. You've been stuck in that moment all of your life and you can't get out of it. These thought patterns we have, this way of thinking about things and seeing things, it has defined you. But at the same time, it has confined you. It has told you who you are and you wear the grudge like a crown of negativity. It has bound you into thinking a distinct way about yourself and about situations. This is just who I am, I'm thinking. This is just how I've been. This is just who I am. But that too is a thought of the enemy because my Bible tells me that if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. Old things, old thoughts, old thought patterns, old habitual thinking has passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's why in Romans 12 and 2, we are told, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind is done by changing the way that you think. It is something that we have to do many times a day. Oh, somebody give the Lord praise on this morning. I know it's heavy up in here. Hey, man, we're going to be all right. This is all for the good. Many of us would love to be able to walk into the future and the purpose that God has for us with a new sense of hope, a new beginning, a sense of victory, a fresh start. But you're not going to have a fresh start with them, those same stale thoughts and stinking thinking that you've had in the past. It's time to let God do a new thing. I will do a new thing. Will you not see it? It's time to let God do a new thing in your mind, in your thoughts, and in your heart. Colossians 3 and 2, set your mind on things above and not things of the earth. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's the thought that counts. Say it with me. It's the thought. Amen. 
Joshua 1 and 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it, you shall think in it day and night. Why? Because it's the thought that counts. Psalm 1 and 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night because... I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also think on all of your works and talk of, on all of your deeds because it is the... Finally, brethren, let's take it back to the text. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Meditate on these things. Put your mind on these things. Let your thoughts be about these things because it is the... Hallelujah. 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 Everybody stand up and give him praise. We're about through. We're done. Hallelujah. He's giving you power. We've got power that you can see. God and we make a majority. We can fight any enemy. Hallelujah. Do you see it yet, beloved? If our thoughts didn't matter, then the word of God would not have spent so much time telling us what to do with our thoughts and where to put your minds. This is an opportunity. It is a challenge for us to take control of our very thoughts. Please, everybody, stay still. This is so very important. This doesn't mean you walk around thinking about rainbows and unicorns and baby and sugar falls and such as, but you can see and think about the truth, the just, the noble, the pure, and the lovely in any circumstance or person that you find yourself in and around. Apply each of these attributes to any and all situation and, and issues that you face. The only way that we can do this is for our minds to be renewed. But the only way for your mind to be renewed is for you to first enter into a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. And then you will take control and ask him to help us take control and give you the strength to take control of your thoughts and put them in accordance with his word. So get in relationship with God and then get into his word so you will know what he